BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com. And you can use code Keith for $25 off. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free... Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Is it possible that his former White House chief of staff has flipped on Donald Trump? Is it possible that despite what amounts to a million four in hush money, the guy Trump has long suspected was ratting him out, maybe even, quoting Trump from months ago, wearing a wire, that that person has himself been identified? Is there just one figure behind the three bombshells from the special counsel's investigation this week? Is one person connected to the revelation that Jack Smith now has Trump lawyer Evan Corcoran's notes about the Mar-a-Lago docs? And is the same figure behind the revelation that Smith subpoenaed Trump's business dealings with Saudi Arabia and six other countries on the premise that he might have traded or sold the documents as part of property deals? And could the same figure be behind Tuesday's story that some of Trump's close associates are bracing for his indictment. Are three scoops just parts of one story, sussed out by first the special counsel and then by three different reporters? Is the source, either for the counsel or the reporters, Mark Meadows? There was a clunky, mundane, featureish piece about Mark Meadows that appeared out of nowhere on CNN's website yesterday. And the first 13 paragraphs basically said he's been offstage advising the Republican debt ceiling hostage takers. And then if you were still awake somehow, paragraph 14 hit you right in the teeth. Quote, a source close to Trump's legal team said Trump's lawyers have had no contact with Meadows and his team and are in the dark on what Meadows is doing in the investigation. That's damn weird phrasing, even for a CNN writer. Are in the dark on what Meadows is doing in the investigation. Not are in the dark whether he has played any part in the investigation, but in the dark on what Meadows is doing in the investigation, as in he has a role in it. We just don't know what that role is. Quoting the piece again, we've all heard the same rumors, one Trump advisor told CNN. No one really knows what he's doing, though. Wait, what? In December 2022, the law firm representing Mark Meadows got a little cash from the Trump Political Action Committee, Save America. Just a little. Just $900,000. To say nothing of the half million Meadows gets from the pro-Trump think tank Conservative Partnership Institute. And Trump's lawyers have had no contact with Million Dollar Meadows And they seem certain Meadows is involved in some way in the special counsel's investigation, but they don't know how exactly. In fact, they're in the dark and all they've heard is rumors and nobody really knows what he's doing. What the hell good is a million foreign hush money if the guy don't hush? 
To resume the CNN piece, it is matter-of-factly noted that this is, quote, fueling speculation about whether Meadows is cooperating with the special counsel's probe or if Meadows himself is a target of the investigation. The piece then quotes that same Trump advisor who says nobody knows what's really going on. Now he says he still checks in. He still wants to talk about the politics. And Jim Jordan goes on the record to CNN about Mark Meadows and says on the record he talks to Mark Meadows at least once a week, quote, but when it comes to legal matters, Jordan said, we make a point not to talk about that, unquote. Jim Jordan, Mr. Conspiracy Theory, Mr. Weaponization of Government Committee, Mr. I'll try to sell anything to my rubes, and he's not talking to Mark Meadows about January 6th and Trump and the Department of Justice and the special counsel, we're supposed to believe that? Best source of rumors you could have would be somebody who's involved in the January 6th investigation. Oh, and don't talk about that. Mark Meadows, at the center of the conspiracy to illegally fundraise off the 2020 election, even though Trump knew it was not stolen. The conspiracy on which Jack Smith has concentrated his electoral college part of his three-pronged investigation of Trump, and nobody knows whether Meadows is the target or the source. Mark Meadows, probably uninvolved with the Mar-a-Lago documents end of Jack Smith and Team Trident, but also Mark Meadows at the center of the conspiracy to make it look like Trump did not go to the ellipse on January 6th and do anything but hand out bear spray and capital blueprints to the insurrectionists who tried to complete a military coup to allow him to overthrow democracy. That Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows, who not only knows that Colonel Mustard and Clue stuff from that day that Smith so obviously loves, like where Trump was and who he talked to during the seven hours and 37 minutes on January 6th where the White House phone logs go dark. That Mark Meadows... And all Trump's side has is Mark Meadows, who could tell you everything that Trump knew. And as the old line goes, when the president knew it. Oh, we haven't talked to him lately. Oh, and by the way, each of the major news organizations that have broken big stories out of the special counsel's investigation, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, The Guardian, each of them has at least one top reporter working basically full-time on Jack Smith, the man of many grand juries. And they have not broken one Mark Meadows story. And the first thing even resembling a Mark Meadows story is, we don't know what the story is with the Mark Meadows story, said Jim Jordan. Two asides. Counting the CNN piece on Meadows, three of the four big stories about the special counsel this week have referenced that Jack Smith is in the end game. He's wrapping it up, barreling to a conclusion, as it says in the CNN piece. Reference after reference to Smith having gotten all the testimony he wanted and brought some witnesses back for a second grilling and not one mention of Mark Meadows testifying or not testifying. And Mark Meadows would not testify to the January 6th committee, pure contempt of Congress. And the Justice Department decided not to charge him with contempt of Congress. Now, just think for a moment. Why would the Justice Department not want to charge somebody who might be the back-breaking witness against Trump for the Justice Department. Also, so if you missed the Ron DeSantis campaign launch on Twitter last night, don't worry. So did he. So did Elon Musk. That sound is all Ron DeSantis will be remembered for. 26 minutes of silence and echoes and that sound. And then the Twitter space blowed up. Blowed up good. Blowed up real good. Blowed up like an Elon Musk SpaceX rocket. Yeehaw. I'll spare you the other jokes except the one 
that Musk then tweeted that all presidential candidates were welcome on Twitter. And you have to wonder if two of them called Elon at the same time to say, I'd like to come on if Elon's phone system would melt. Honest to God, if he were smart, and he's not, Ron DeSantis would announce today that he's changed his mind and he's not running for president. And then after the Twitter space thing dies down in a week or two, he should do like um, a town hall on CNN and say, changed his mind again and he is running. Anything to get the stench of that Twitter disaster off his ill-fitting suit and high-heeled shoes. I mean, Joe Biden tweeted, this link works. Joe Biden scored off him on Twitter during DeSantis' campaign announcement. Let me also point out at the other end of this thing that hours before this disaster, the Axios media writer concluded that, quote, Musk has displaced Rupert Murdoch and Fox News as king of conservative media in recent weeks. And I think we can forget about that now, too. And Tucker Carlson told the site hours before the disaster, quote, thankfully, the old system is collapsing in real time. Uh, no, sorry, Tucky. Good choice of words, though. It seems to be Elon's new system that's collapsing in real time. And, oh, look, you're willing to forego $30 million from Fox to launch your new show on Twitter. Tucker, I hate your guts and you hate mine, but I'm going to give you free advice. You would be better off launching your new show by fax. Tucker Twitter. Twitter Tucker. Twucker when Musk's SpaceX blew up, it left a coating of brown crap on several Texas towns, and so will this fiasco. The problem for DeSantis is when they clean this Twitter crap up, people will notice what little he did say on the Twitter Spaces thing, and then on a subsequent interview on Fox with ex-Congressman Trey Gowdy. And Trey, you got to stop sticking your head in the pencil sharpener. Gowdy asked him about Ukraine, and DeSantis could not say anything about Ukraine, didn't seem to understand about Ukraine, had to pivot, reflexively began with, quote, first, I think what we need to do as a veteran is recognize that our military has become politicized. You talk about gender ideology. You talk about global warming. We're not talking about that. We're talking about Ukraine. That would be something I could take care of on day one. The sad implication being, the sad truth being, Ron DeSantis could not take care of anything else on day one. Except woke. The wokey finoki swamp thing. Oh, and there's a P.S. from the Republican campaign. CNN is doing another town hall, because the last one went so well, with Nikki Haley on Sunday, June 4th at Grinnell College in Iowa. As reporter Ben Jacobs pointed out, first, I think, big weekend at Grinnell. Two nights earlier, next Friday, June 2nd at the Harris Center, it's, <laughs> sorry, it's the second Grinnell College reunion drag show. Capacity is limited, so please arrive early, Nikki. <laughs> And if that's not enough of a larf to go out on, you must have heard this by now. As the Republicans continue to try to destroy the economy and kill the debt limit hostage, and that's Matt Gates's term, not mine, the adults all left the congressional room for a while, and somebody let Marjorie Taylor, Barney Rubble, white supremacist Karen Green run the asylum. Imagine, as you hear this, being this reviled, by your own congressional colleagues. I mean, hell, imagine being this reviled by your own colleagues at a pool hall. The members are reminded to abide by decorum of the House. I believe the term 
they used to use in the South to describe people like Marjorie Taylor Greene was, and I'll update it to make it politically correct, trash. Speaking of making a public spectacle of yourself, for 24 hours or so, it sure looked like Tom Hanks had erased a reputation built over a lifetime of being Mr. Nice Guy of Hollywood. Trouble and wild gesticulations on the red carpet at the Cannes Film Festival. Wait. Wild gesticulations? Red carpet? Tom Hanks... I am flashing back to my day of wild gesticulations and a red carpet and Tom Hanks. That's next. This is Countdown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code Keith for $25 off. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander, with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer, check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com, that's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Uh, you know, this is Countdown with, uh, you know, Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news. Some headlines, some updates, some snark, some predictions. Dateline Con in France. They were everywhere. Photos and video of what certainly looked from a distance like actor Tom Hanks and his wife Rita Wilson yelling at, maybe even berating, an unidentified random staffer on the red carpet at the 2023 Cannes Film Festival in France while promoting his new movie, Asteroid City. At various intervals, Hanks seems to have a fist clenched, then seems to be jabbing his forefinger at the man. Throughout, he appeared to wear a look of disbelief verging on anger. European newspapers were filled for two days with stories about Tom Hanks yells at Khan and Tom Hanks yells at Staffer and Tom Hanks scolds Khan Staffer, etc., etc., etc. And then his wife Rita spoke up. Then the staffer, Vincent Chapelaine, spoke up. Then the sound on the video spoke up louder than either of them. Tom Hanks wasn't scolding anybody, but he was yelling because he could not hear himself or this Vincent Chapelaine, or anything else, because the crowd around the red carpet was too loud. The clenched hand? Tom Hanks clenched it while he was yelling, I can't hear you, everybody's screaming. The jabbing forefinger? It went with, where are we supposed to go? Are we supposed to go back to the start of the red carpet? Just, just point at where you want us to go. And the scolding of the random staffer, Vincent Chapelaine is the manager of the red carpet at Cannes, has been for 10 years. The only thing he was taking offense at was people presuming he was just security rather than management. 
These are the French. Can you hear me now? This is an unusual story to include here, and I've gone into unusual detail about it, because the moment I saw this story from Khan, I didn't have mere deja vu. I had a full flashback, a full out-of-body experience, time travel. I was propelled back to March 21st, 1999, where a similar overhead view of Tom Hanks on a red carpet without any audio without any context, would have presented you a picture of first Tom Hanks and then Tom Hanks with the assistance of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon assaulting a guy, literally pulling him over the hedges that served as the security boundary, damaging the guy's clothing, and then basically throwing him back over the hedges. And all this took place on a red carpet at the Oscars. The guy was me. In 1999, I had just started what began as a pretty good gig. Fox Sports had launched its own version of ESPN and its own version of SportsCenter, and it had thrown way too much money at me, and it bought me out of my contract at MSNBC, where I was desperately unhappy doing the Clinton Lewinsky story every hour on the hour, and they got me to move back to Los Angeles and anchor their version of SportsCenter and all the Fox baseball coverage, too, including the World Series and the All-Star Game. And it launched a five-year plan to give itself enough credibility to compete with ESPN. And I was just there to enjoy the sun, collect the huge paycheck, and publicize the thing as often as possible while they slowly built it up for the year 2004. As the executive who signed me said after we held an introductory press conference and press phone call with about 200 reporters, you earned about a year of your salary just doing that call. So when one of the editors of the Los Angeles Times called somebody she knew in the PR department at Fox and said, I have a crazy idea. What is Keith Olbermann doing on Oscars night? The Fox people listened. The next thing I knew, I had that night off. I was in a tux I was standing amid a sea of photographers at the first turn of the red carpet at the Oscars, gathering quotes from startled celebrities who expected to see only photogs right there and not somebody asking questions, certainly not me asking questions. I was a little startled, too. The editor in a pre-Oscars phone call explained that this was the 71st edition of the Oscars and the Times had covered the first 70. Then they had pretty much gotten it down to a science around the year 1932 and they really hadn't changed much since then. Except the photos are in color now, she mentioned. She asked if I wanted to hear what would be in the Times the day after the Oscars. She said, I can recite the main story right now. I just have to fill in the names of the winners. And then there's the fashion review and how many daring and outlandish and classic outfits there were. Then I'll have the TV critic complaining about how bad the host was. And I'll have the TV business guy explaining why the ratings were so low. Then we'll have the big poll quotes from the actors that will read exactly like the big poll quotes from 1989 or 1979. And we'll have the predictive piece on which award wins will actually help movies at the box office. And then we'll have the predictive piece on which award snubs will actually hurt movies at the box office. What we need is anything else. Can you think of anything else? Can you think of anything you haven't read in our paper about the Oscars? I thought for a second. I said, what about this idea that they're now going to televise the red carpet live for half an hour before the Oscars? You're going to have like a Oscars pregame show. I heard somebody say, you know, maybe they could do that all day. I mean, what if I asked everybody like uh, like whoever will stop to talk to me? I mean, what if I asked them, would they think it would be a good idea to make the Oscars an all day kind of thing? Like like Super Bowl Sunday, Oscar Sunday, Oscar Bowl Live starting at dawn on ABC. I mean, I could basically write you the lead paragraph now. Thanks for attending Oscar Bowl 1. Please ask your limo driver to tune into the postgame show with uh, Vin Scully, Uma Thurman, and uh, Angeline. No, not, not Angeline. Edie Williams. Arrive home safely. The editor laughed, had me repeat it, and wrote it down. It was the lead of my story. So on the night of March 21st, 1999, Oscars night, there I was 
officially a sports reporter and ex-news reporter and ex-local L.A. sportscaster on top of everything else. There I was at the first corner of the red carpet in front of the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, standing where one of the 80 or so L.A. Times photographers should have been, and I never found out what he thought of this idea. And I was introducing myself to actors and actresses and producers and other people who had no idea who I was. Helen Hunt was particularly confused and explaining why I was there to actors and actresses who knew exactly who I was. Kevin Costner was particularly confused. Some of them gave thoughtful answers to my question about an all-day Oscars. Helen Hunt actually thought about it and said something interesting. Costner said he would never watch anything like that instead of, say, college basketball. He recommended against doing it, and he said, we already know too much about the things we already know about. And I knew exactly what he meant. What a great quote. We shook hands, and Costner took a deep breath, and he moved towards the gauntlet of the next 500 reporters down the red carpet and said, wish me luck, Keith. Within two minutes, I then saw Costner walking back towards me. Can you do me a favor? I mean, I'm sorry, but can you not run that quote? I've never retracted a quote in my life. But that'll make me sound like Yogi Berra. I said it didn't make him sound like Yogi Berra. It was perfect, and everybody would know exactly what he meant. But of course, if that's what he wanted, I'd, I'd forget it. I wouldn't use the quote. Until now. Anyway, I had enough color and quotes, and technically my article was going to be labeled Arrivals, so it was done already as night began to fall, and I had one particular piece of gold handed to me when the fabled actress who had done the cameo in Titanic the year before arrived on the red carpet. The photographer standing on one side of me said, look, it's Martha Stewart. Not Martha Stewart, I mean uh, Gloria Swanson. Uh, No, you know who I mean, Uh, uh, Gloria Stewart. It was good that I had enough material, and I thought that was probably going to be my second paragraph because the editor had given me a deadline, like, I don't know, 6.30, 7 p.m., where I had to be back in the Times offices, which were a quick walk, a block or two away, and I had to start writing because they wanted to put my piece on the page with all the early photos from the red carpet and the start of the awards, and they needed my piece finished ASAP. But I lingered a few minutes longer than I was supposed to because there was only one actor I had really hoped I was going to get to meet. Tom Hanks. Finally, Keith comes back to Tom Hanks. Didn't see him. Everybody's already inside. I must have missed him. Or maybe he's not coming, even though he has a nominated film. And I'm about to leave. Literally, I'm double-checking my notes and my quotes when I heard some of the photogs shout, Tom! Tom! And there, finally, he was in a tux and a beard, and he gave them that half-mile actor stare and pleasant smile, and without being asked, he did a slow pan from side to side so each cameraman could get him in profile and in full face, and then he stopped, and his eyes widened comically, and he said, Keith Alberman, what are you doing here? Did you get fired again? That even got a laugh from the photographers. He then devolved into shtick. Come in with me. You can have Rita's ticket. Better than that. Why don't you go in with Rita? I'll go watch UCLA play. Rita Wilson smiled, waved, and while looking at her husband, she pointed to her own head and made that crazy gesture. And on and on and on it went. I asked Tom Hanks my questions. He gave me some good answers. He gave me a very nice double-handed handshake, and he moved on. And he was one or two people down the gauntlet of the red carpet when I thought, dummy, Tom Hanks is right there. He's a fan. You're a fan. You have a camera with you. You have a mother. Get a picture with him for mom. So I beckoned. So you'll go in with me? Hot dog! I explained what I actually wanted, and I handed my little disposable cardboard camera, remember those, to the nearest reporter I knew, Lara Spencer from Channel 7 in New York, more recently of Good Morning America. And I leaned back over the hedges, which in those innocent pre-9-11 days were the only things actually keeping the famous safe from us. The We merely cover the famous. Lara took a couple of shots. In them, it would prove my head is about four times as big as Tom's, and we both look like mutants. Straining mutants. Wait, this won't work, Tom Hanks finally said. And with that, he grabbed me and started to pull me over the shrubbery. I was unprepared for this. I started to teeter. 
at this exact moment, I heard coming from the carpet behind me two guys chanting, Keith, Keith. Hanks turned around and said, hello, boys. Look, it's Keith Olbermann. Can you believe this? Finally, a reason to actually show up to this dumb thing. Can we take him in with us? You guys got an extra ticket? Here, help me pull him over the hedge. The two guys were Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Somewhere in this process, and Affleck and Damon were really young then. They really could pull. One of these three men broke my cummerbund. I swear. Suddenly, I was on the red carpet with them and with a loose cummerbund. Affleck struck a wrestling pose and made a grimace, a fake grimace. Lara Spencer shouted, that's a perfect shot, at which point I heard a sound effect, but in real life, nearly identical to the one that signaled the arrival of the reporters throughout the movie The Right Stuff, like a thousand mosquitoes moving in unison. Every photographer there panned over to us. Because even those who did not know who I was or what Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck were doing to me did notice security rushing to this scene. It's all right, fellas, Hanks shouted. He fell. They helped me back over the hedge. Affleck asked me about the Red Sox chances in the season ahead. Hanks slapped me on the back. I barely managed to shout, enjoy the show, boys. And Damon turned and said, well, we just did and they were gone. Any image of this scene, taken without sound and without context, would have been greeted perhaps as the stuff from Khan was about Tom Hanks. It would have shown three of Hollywood's top actors appearing to attack or maybe trying to subdue some guy who looked vaguely like some sports or news guy or something and the tux didn't fit well. It must have been a rental it might have been a perimeter breach. I mean, look at the damage to the hedge, to say nothing of the guy's cummerbund. So when the story of Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson yelling at the guy on the red carpet at Con broke, all I could think of was, here we go again. As a postscript, I should note that I have seen Tom Hanks several times since then, and Hanks always mentions the cummerbund. Affleck, once portrayed me on Saturday Night Live, and I went up to his studio, which was also the Football Night in America studio, to say hello at his rehearsal and offer him any tips he needed. And the next thing I knew, that was in the New York Post. Oberman crashes studio. And the photo of the four of us? Well, I clearly had enough stuff for my arrivals piece in the L.A. Times, so I jogged back to their offices a little late now and found the editor, and she asked me if the story would work, and I said, yes, I have enough, and then I sheepishly said, listen, there was a thing with me and, and Hanks and Affleck and Damon, and I, I, can I mention it in the piece maybe at the end? And again, her eyes widened as I explained what happened, and in great excitement, she asked, did anybody get a picture of this? And I said, well, yeah, I thought about um, a um, hundred real photographers got a picture of it. But, but I was certain that my friend Lara from New York had gotten it on my disposable, which is when the editor grabbed the camera from my hand and left without a word running down the hallway. And the next thing I saw of my camera or what was in it was the next morning when the front page of the LA Times Oscar section had four beautiful color pictures on it. One of Gwyneth Paltrow, Judy Dench, James Coburn, and Roberto Benigni. One of Ilya Kazan, it was the Ilya Kazan speech year. One of Kate Blanchett's dress as seen from behind. So it was a picture of Kate Blanchett's but, and largest of all the pictures, me and the boys, with the caption, The Arrivals. Fox Sports News anchor Keith Olbermann is mugged by Tom Hanks, left Ben Affleck and Matt Damon on the red carpet, and lives to write about it. Page F2. I still have it framed on my wall. But just to be clear... Tom Hanks didn't actually mug me. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com. And you can use code Keith for $25 off. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Still ahead on Countdown, the Tom Hanks story put me in an L.A. confidential kind of mood. Nostalgic, see? Nostalgic. For the night, I had the scoop of the year in L.A., maybe in the entire sports world, and then the cameraman said, Hold on, I I I might not have recorded it. Next. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need. You can help every dog has its day. Chelsea has now faced death at the New York Pound twice. She was rescued just in time three years ago. She went to a loving home. And then just about a week ago, they found her tied up outside of the New York Pound. And with her was her friend, her bonded dog pal, Ace. The humans abandoned them. Chelsea is about 40 pounds and affectionate with everybody, loving and wiggly and good with other dogs. But the moment they separated her from Ace, she began to scream with loss and in terror. And because she was afraid and alone, they put her on the kill list again. And because of that, we have to get her out of there. Chelsea can be adopted right now, no questions, or we can pledge to help a rescue save her. Either way, you can find her on my Twitter feeds, and any help you can give her, even a retweet, will help. I thank you, and Chelsea thanks you. Now for my favorite topic, me, and some more things I promise not to tell, and I can hear him saying it still. Keith, who was Cardin Gillenwater? 30 years ago and more, I used to get phone calls from a viewer named Harry. Harry Ornest. Harry had once been a training camp stick boy for the long-forgotten National Hockey League franchise, the New York Americans. He later became a linesman in the National Hockey League. He had stepped in as the owner of the nearly bankrupt St. Louis Blues. He owned the minor league baseball team in Vancouver and most notably the Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League until he sold them to Wayne Gretzky and Gretzky's boss, the owner of the LA Kings, Bruce McNall, and the late John Candy. And Harry was one of those guys who knew everything going on with everyone in one sport. And Harry was a fan of my sportscasts. So he would call me at KCBS in Los Angeles and later at ESPN, and he would say, I am once again your source, Keith, for a story about Bruce McNall. You always mispronounce McNall. McNall. But I will only give you the story if you can tell me. And then he'd ask me a baseball trivia question. Keith, who was Cardin Gillenwater? This is pre-internet. No chance I could look Cardin Gillenwater up in a book and have Harry not hear me doing so over the phone. So I would have to give him my best answer. And usually I got these right. Cardin Gillenwater, and it stuck in my head from somewhere, who knows when, was an obscure outfielder from the 1940s. Boston Braves, mostly. And one day, April 20th, 1991, in fact, when I got the trivia answer right... Harry said, would you happen to be going to the Los Angeles Kings playoff game tonight? 
And I said, matter of fact, I was. And Harry said, excellent, my friend. If you watch Mr. McNall's private box, you will see he will have a visitor, a Mr. Rahib Rocket Ismail from Notre Dame University. He went on to say Mr. McNall has just signed Mr. Ismail to a contract with the Toronto Argonauts, formerly owned by your source. And he said, I am led to believe it is for four years and $26 million. I am also led to believe a little over half of it is guaranteed. I am led to believe Mr. McNall will be announcing it tomorrow, just before the National Football League conducts its college draft. He's really going to piss them all off, isn't he? It would make Carden Gillenwater shamed. Also, he would remind me, Mr. McNall has yet to pay me what he owes me for when I sold him the Toronto Argonauts. Rocket Ismail was not the best player available in the 1991 National Football League draft, which was to start the next morning, bright and early in New York. But he was the most exciting, a dynamic receiver and kick returner from Notre Dame. And while it was not certain that he would be chosen first overall by the Dallas Cowboys, it was likely, surely possible. And instead, he had signed with Toronto of the Canadian League? It seemed very, very unlikely. And on the other hand, Harry Ornest had never been wrong once with one of these story tips. So... My producer Ron Gralnick and I went to the Los Angeles Forum. We were going anyway as fans to the hockey playoff game. And he asked our assignment desk at KCBS to send us a camera crew because we were going to at least get video of Rocket Ismail at the Forum or leaving the Forum or something. It was some kind of story. And sure enough, from our seats, we could easily see into Bruce McNall's private box. And there, without a doubt, totally unrecognized by any of the L.A. hockey fans, was this Notre Dame football player, Rocket Ismail. He and McNall and the other executives seemed to be having a great time. And there was a lot of back slapping and beer drinking and whatnot. And I said to Ron, good God, we're going to break a huge story here. But they won't let us bring the cameraman in here to shoot video of Ismail and McNall's box. We're going to have to stake him out. We're going to have to get him after the game ends out in the parking lot somewhere. Ron smiled knowingly. Ron had once been an usher at the Great Western Forum. And I said, you know, I know all the secret ways out of here, he said to me. And I know all the limo drivers. And the limo drivers never change. Last time I was here, I said hi to half a dozen of them. Let me go find out which one is waiting for them. Within 15 minutes, Ron was back. Got it. He used to say that a lot. He found the limo driver who was sent to take Rocket Ismail back to the hotel, and he found out which side door out of about a 1,000 of them in this old arena the driver had been told to wait next to. I would have been back sooner, Ron said, but he wanted to show me pictures of his new baby. So now we used my cell phone. Not a lot of cell phones in use in 1991, not even in L.A., to check on the camera crew. And we were told the cameraman would meet us in the parking lot at such and such an hour. And we told the assignment desk to have him park near this one side exit that we'd been told Esmail was going to use when the game was over. And then we waited. And with the Kings losing 3-2 to Edmonton early in the third period, just as we were planning to go out and meet up with the camera guy, the Kings tied the game up and that screwed up everything. Because now the game might go into overtime and end suddenly, and it might end in five minutes, and it might end in five hours, and we might get caught in the crowd exiting the arena, and we might miss Rocket Ismail, or we might leave early, or who knows. And then as the overtime period began, I looked up at Bruce McNall's private box for like the 300th time that night, and I saw it. I saw Rocket Ismail yawning. Let's get out of here, I said to Ron. We left, we rendezvoused with the cameraman, and we rehearsed what we planned to do. Pure, obnoxious TV ambushing. We would hide across the street from the side exit. The windows around the door of that side exit would give us enough time to see him coming. And as soon as the door opened, I would step forward towards him, the cameraman would turn on his light and press play and record on his video deck, and I would essentially block Rocket Ismail, if I could, from getting into his limo, and I'd just start firing questions at him. The cameraman should never stop rolling. Keep rolling, I said. Who knows what we'll get? And how well it all worked! 
Within minutes of the start of the second overtime period, we saw Ismail and a Los Angeles Kings executive named Roy Malalker bound up the steps toward the side exit onto the street. And I waited until they were obscured behind the door. I shouted to the cameraman, roll! The cameraman threw on his light. We took a few steps from the parking lot across the street onto the sidewalk. Rocket, Keith Olbermann from Channel 2 Action News. Have you signed with the Toronto Argonauts? He said nothing. But he looked like I had just stolen his wallet. We understand you're getting $26 million for four years, about a half of it guaranteed. Is that correct? He now looked like he was a, an escaping prisoner who had just been identified. Rocket, why did you sign with the CFL before the NFL draft? Again, he said nothing. He did not need to. The look on his face confirmed everything I was asking him. Rocket, did you not want to play for the Dallas Cowboys? Still silence. It suddenly dawned on me that this guy might have finished second in the voting for College Football's Player of the Year award, the Heisman Trophy, but he was having a lot of trouble getting around me and my 32-year-old, unathletic, six-foot-three-and-a-half blubbery frame. Did Bruce McDowell give you a part of the franchise, Rocket? At which point I was finally gently and easily moved aside by somebody with him. Rocket Ismail slipped into the limo, whereupon my cameraman, showing great perspicacity, dropped to his knees and pointed the camera inside the limo. We could see Ismail, thoroughly shaken, sitting next to the King's executive, Roy Malaker. I shouted in one last perfect question to Malaker. Roy! Is that a rocket in your pocket, or are you just glad to see us? At which point, as if on cue, the limo door slammed and the driver peeled out of there with a huge screeching sound. The cameraman now turned off his light, and my producer, Ron, and I started jumping up and down in the parking lot. We had not only gotten a terrific scoop, and the video would be on every CBS station in the country within hours, but we had done it with an interview in which the interviewee did not say a word, yet still gave away the whole story just with facial expressions and body language. Ron and I repeated these elements to each other and high-fived and celebrated until the cameraman suddenly said, Hold on. I may have forgotten to roll tape. I looked at him and smiling. I said that it was fun to play with us like that, but he, he just shortened our lives by a year. And I didn't say play. Uh, I'm sorry, man. Uh, I'm not joking. Yeah, I, I I forgot to roll. I'm sorry, man. Too too bad. You ask great questions. Rocket in your pocket. <laughs> and the looks on his face. Damn. Sorry. Ron and I made him double check and triple check and quadruple check. And when there was no more doubt, he had never hit play and record. We stood forlorn like a couple of guys who had just seen the winning lottery ticket blown out of their hands into the sewer or something. The cameraman packed up and left, and as Ron and I stood there silently, I wondered how it could possibly get worse, which is when it started to rain. My great scoop, the interview in which the interviewee said nothing, that threw the National Football League draft into utter chaos, was now worthless. Bruce McNall, of course, would announce the signing of Rocket Ismail by his Toronto Argonauts. I would be able to phone into the CBS sports office in New York and give them a warning about the signing. Their overnight guy said, thanks, and hung up on me. And I would phone into our all-news radio station, KNX, and I would do a live report from the parking lot outside the L.A. Forum about Rocket Ismail at 12.15 on Sunday morning as if anybody was listening and as if anybody who was listening could have possibly cared about Canadian football. For weeks thereafter, Ron Grelnick and I would be in conversation about something else when one of us would pause and say, can you believe he forgot to roll? The frequency of this dropped with time to once a month, then once a year. I last saw Ron in 2021. He and I told his wife the story, after which, involuntarily, the way a casualty of a long-forgotten battle will describe the shock of his injury half a century earlier, Ron said, Can you believe you forgot to roll? And I know, I know in my heart, 
that whether I live another week or another 40 years, one of the last things I will say to myself on this earth will take me back to that damp Saturday night in 1991 when I ambushed Rocket Ismail, but my cameraman ambushed me. Can you believe he forgot to roll? I've done all the damage I can do here. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer was my friend Richard Lewis. Cummerbunds were adjusted by Tom Hanks. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 870th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Don't forget to keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. The members are reminded to abide by decorum of the House. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code Keith for $25 off. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.